Merry Christmas to everybody. I'm so glad that you've come today. It's so great to see you guys. As you came in, you would have been given an outline. And the reason why we're all gathered today is for no other reason apart from 2,000 years ago, a certain child was born that split history into AD and BC. And today, billions of people over today, actually, and tomorrow, of course, will be celebrating this special time of year. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed, but there are a lot of messages that are pumped out through the social media and through all the different media channels about Christmas. But many of them, for the one who is the cause of Christmas, I've noticed that one message that really matters is often lost. And today we're going to talk about that, the, matter, the message that really matters. And the message that really matters is this, God wants to spend eternity with you. And therefore, the first point on the outline there and on the screen is God's purpose for Christmas is salvation. That's the whole reason why you came. It's, that's clear. And in a single sentence, his purpose for Christmas was salvation. Now, believe it or not, that is the most mis-message at Christmas. Christ came to save us and to bring us hope. Actually, in Luke 2.11, a verse that we often look at at this time of year. For today... In the city of David, there has been born for you, for you, it's personal, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the announcement of the good news of salvation by the angels was for anyone who would accept it, anyone who would accept it. Notice again, it says, for you. Jesus is a personal Savior. It's for you. So God's gift of salvation covers three dimensions. First of all, it provides you three benefits in three dimensions of your life. Firstly, in the past, Christ provides you your sins are forgiven in the past. And that's freedom. They don't follow you around for the rest of your life. Secondly, he'll give you a present, in the present, a purpose for living. So in the past, your sins are forgiven. In the present, you're, you have a purpose for living. And then in the future, which is really important, you'll have a life and a home in heaven. That's it in three words. Secondly on your outline, Jesus came at Christmas to save you and me from sin and from ourselves. We, me, I'm the source of most of my problems. And we all have Habits that are tough to break. We have thoughts that we don't want. We have sometimes emotions that we don't like. And we have insecurities sometimes and fears that we can't hide. We have regrets and resentments that you can't let go of. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but there's things I've said and done which I wish I hadn't said and done. But here's the deal. You and I are born with an eye problem. And by nature... Today we have six of my grandchildren here, which I'm so blessed to have them. <laughs> and one of the things, if you ask any parent, not one of my four children, did I have to sit down and teach, this is how to be selfish or self-centered. I'm always pulling them back the other way, right? To help them to share. We all have a natural inclination to make wrong choices, to go our own way instead of God's way. That tendency, the Bible calls sin. I am born with an eye problem, and that is my greatest problem, and it's universal. doesn't matter what language or culture, it is universal. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, Not a single person, there it is, not a single person on earth always is good and never sins. I don't think anybody would disagree with that, because nobody has a perfect record. 
Like the Bible says it this way too in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Friends, to be honest, I don't even measure up to my own standards, let alone God's. And so by nature, we demonstrate things like, I want to run my own life. I want to do what the heck I want. I want to be my own God. Uh, because, why? Because I know what's best for me. More than God. Ooh, now we're getting into a bit of hubris. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I want. That's how the logic typically goes. Now, do you think it's even possible that God may know what's best and better for you than yourself? And me too, sure. But sometimes our prideful self-will causes us to disconnect and distance ourselves from him and his will for our lives. Isaiah nailed it beautifully in a single sentence. He says this here in Isaiah 59.2. The trouble, this is trouble. My mother always told me, oh, there's trouble. I was trouble. Here's the trouble. The trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. So our sinfulness is the source of our problems on a personal level because it causes us to react in ways that we regret. It brings guilt and it brings shame and resentment sometimes. Sin can do that. That's on a personal level. What about in the global and the macro level? Well, what the, the evidence of it there, the fruit of it there, is corruption, hatred, prejudice, and poverty. They are symptoms or fruits of sin. Governments and academics and businesses try to deal with the visible symptoms of sin, try to engineer temporary fixes with all the security that we put in, but they're only temporary fixes. The lasting solution to sin starts in the heart. See, it's one thing for me to tell my child, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. That's externally imposed. It's a different thing if my child doesn't want to do that anymore. There's been a change of heart. Now, only God can transform our hearts and set us free from the grip of sin. By the way, another word for salvation is freedom. And therefore, salvation is freedom, is the point, next point. The Bible says this in Psalm 118, verse 5. I was in trouble, so I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. What does it actually mean? What does, Jesus, what does Jesus coming at Christmas offer to set us free? How does it even connect? Well, firstly, clearly it's free from guilt over the past. We touched on it at the beginning. Freedom from guilt from in the past. See, guilt is a mental price that we pay for violating God's uh, God-given conscience. See, on the earth, if we break an earthly law, like driving a bus lane, I pay the penalty, a very expensive penalty. Oh, no, doesn't matter. I didn't, I, I didn't see it, sir. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I pay the penalty. And when we break God's moral laws, there are also consequences. When we break any law, there's a consequence. But God, out of his deep love for us, sent Jesus at Christmas to solve the problem. To pay a bill I could never pay. Romans 6.23. The payment of sin is death. But the gift that God freely, notice that word freely gives, is everlasting life found where? In one place. Christ Jesus our Lord. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all the sin you've ever done wrong or ever will do. This, you businessman, is the exchange 
of history. Where are we up to? This is the great exchange. The trade. Have you got that there, Chris? The trade's simply this. He died. What did he die for? He was the innocent one, and he took my guilt. The, his innocence for our guilt, and then his perfect life for our broken lives. That was it. He did the exchange. What an exchange. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you accept that? And then the broken life from, uh, for a perfect life. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For God took the sinless Christ. Just back one up there. Thanks, Chris. God took the sinless Christ and poured him into him our sin. We just looked at that. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Now, God's goodness is far more powerful than my stupid mistakes or your sins. And the gift of not having to carry that load of guilt and having a cleansed conscience every day was one of the most fantastic things I could ever have imagined to enjoy. God's forgiveness is able to wipe your slate clean, and that is freedom. No more. Number two. So when Christ came at Christmas, he offers to set us free from guilty conscience, then free from the, here's a big one, the expectations of others. Young teenagers, young adults, listen carefully to this one. How often have you done things that you didn't want to do simply because you wanted the approval of other people? Huh? Here's another one, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of human opinion disables. An old version says it's a trap, it's a snare. Trusting God, though, protects you from that. So, some people live with a constant worry or low-grade anxiety about what other people think of you. That, friends, the Bible says is a trap. But the antidote to that, to fearing disapproval, is building your life on the foundation of God's unconditional love. It never changes. Now, we all know that horrible feeling of that sting of rejection. And we know also that the affirmation of others is encouraging. But, friends, feeling deeply loved and chosen by God is far greater than all of that. Take a look at this. Ephesians 1.4 Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy, that means set apart, without fault in his eyes. What? Before the universe was even made, before the foundation of the world, God loved you unconditionally. He chose you, that says. He wanted you to, you know, to be set free from living from the approval of other people. You, my friend, need to refocus on how much you matter to God. Because if you really get that, it won't matter what other people think about you. If you refocus on his unconditional love for you, like this in Romans 8.31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who could ever be against us? Does it matter? No. And then again, in Psalm 27 verse 10, reminds us, even, boy do I know this one, even if my father and my mother abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. The security in that. So many people base their identity, their happiness 
on the flawed judgment of other people, which only leads to greater insecurity, because guess what? You can never please them. So why bother? Number three, Jesus coming at Christmas offers us freedom to be free from the destructive habits that destroy my life. My brother can give you a 14-year history on that one. Now, probably by now, you have realized that good intentions aren't often good enough to break destructive habits. Perhaps you have tried. You've tried to change, but each time you make a determination, then you revert back to the old habits. And with each cycle, it's a cycle of intention, failure, there becomes this thing called remorse. And you feel more and more trapped, like, I can never get out of this. Friends, if that's you, you need a power greater than yourselves to release you from that. You need a savior. And John 8, 36 says this. If the Son of God sets you free, then you'll be really free. Really free. And friends, God never meant you to go through life on your own power. He wants you to trust him and depend upon him. Number four. At Christmas, Jesus also came to set us free from, and here's a big one, the fear of death. The fear of death. The acid test of what you believe is not how you act when things are going brilliantly. You know, when you're at the weddings and the parties and you're at the top of your sales charts and you're on target, birthdays and graduations, the acid test is when these emotional storms come into your life and beat you down and they bring your dreams down. The, the acid test is when you have relational earthquakes that rip your relationships. The things that you hope for are ripped. Or financial fires turn your assets into ashes. Or pain pummels your body. Or the eventual death of a loved one leaves you lonely and lost. What will uphold you then? Now, as a pastor, I see more than my fair share of funerals. And I see the huge difference, massive difference, that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ makes. Now, if you accept, here's the deal, if you accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, your eternal destiny is secured and you'll no longer fear death. So the decision that we make about that trade, here it is, that decision that you want about that trade. Do you want to stand in your own righteousness and in your own sins? Or do you want to have him covering you? The decision we make about that trade, whether we receive this gift or we reject it, will determine what happens to each one of us in eternity. Look at this, Hebrews 2.14. 2, Since we God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood too by being born in a human form at Christmas. For only as a human being could he die, and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in that way could he deliver those through the fear of death have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. That means they've got a, a clear idea that they're going to die and it creates a sense and a feeling of dread in their stomachs. Now if that's you, if you have a, a dread of death, Jesus' death and resurrection considers free from the fear of death because 
as is evidenced and proven by Christ's resurrection, death has been defeated. And every person in this room must die, but death is not the end, it's a doorway, a doorway to a new life. Now, if you dread death, why wouldn't you want the hope that Christ's victory over death brings? Number two, Christmas at Christmas, Jesus came to save you, that's the end of the past, but now today, for a purpose. At some point in each of our lives, we ask the question, why am I here? That's the question of existence. And then the secondly, well, does my life matter? Does it matter at all? This is the question of, I've been working very hard, but is that really very significant? That's the second question we'll often ask here. And then thirdly, what's my purpose? That's the question of intention. Now, because God made you, he has a purpose in mind for you before you were even born. And this is what the Bible says about that. Ephesians 1.4 Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Not by possessions or position or prestige or power, but by his love. Now each one, though, problem is, has strayed from God's purpose by following what we thought was right. And God sent as a saviour at Christmas to redeem us from sin, firstly, to reset the direction of our lives, and importantly, to restore his purpose in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for all, so that all who live having received life, eternal life from him, may no longer live for themselves, but to, plea, uh, to please themselves, but to spend their lives pleasing Christ who died and rose again for them. So we're not just saved from evil, we're saved for good. Therefore, the Bible says, give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you, for you are back from death and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His good and His purposes. That's what we're there for. See, what he's saying there is worldly success doesn't matter who you are or how much you've earned, won't really satisfy in the long run. And sure won't count a hill of beans in eternity unless you use it for His kingdom. So you can be so busy earning a living that you fail to live the life that God intended for you. Because you, friend, were made for far more than temporary earthly success. You were made for significance. Mark 8.35, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live, the scriptures say. So let me ask you, knowing that nothing you will ever try will completely satisfy your soul. Oh, well, I'll need a new iPhone. Well, good luck. That'll satisfy you for about maybe a week or two or a month or whatever, and then you'll be shelling out buku bucks for a new one. Those things don't, don't last. They're very temporary. doesn't matter. New car, new house. I was going to say new wife then, but not say that. <laughs> but same principle, you know what I'm saying? Knowing that nothing you will ever try will completely satisfy your soul and you'll be on a constant treadmill for more. 
Why not accept Jesus as your saviour to fill that hole? And then I'll tell you what you will find. You won't be driven to chase all that materialism and all those other things again, and you'll get the real life back. Because your past will be forgiven, you'll have a new purpose for living, and you're going to have a home in heaven. Nobody else can offer you that type of deal, that type of trade, that type of exchange. Only God. Now, did you also know that Jesus came to save you by his grace at Christmas? Contrast that to everything else I've ever done on this earth. I'm always judged. I'm judged on, did I get my sales target? Yes or no? I'm judged as an athlete and how fast, or a squash player, or what the score was. Whatever that may be, we're judged on our performance. Now, when it comes to spiritual matters, many people very wrongly assume they have to earn God's approval. Wrong. They also assume that, that they can work at things to make things better. That we need to des- I need to be deserving of God's love. And that I can work my way to heaven by being perfect. Well, good luck on that. Tell me how that goes, because it didn't work too good for me. So if you thought that I have those things, I have good news for you. That is not how it works. Notice this next verse. John 6, 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work that God is this, to believe in the one he sent, the one young child, Jesus Christ. And that involves no work at all. Salvation is not a matter of trying, but it's trusting. It's not a matter of proving you deserve it, but accepting it by faith. Knowing that you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Satisfying God does not come from the work that we do, but in whom we believe. That's where it comes from. But what does it actually mean to believe? The first step is accepting Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. See, religion is man's attempt to please God, but grace is God reaching out to man. In every other religion, man reaches out to God. But in Christianity, God takes initiative and reaches out to man. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. See, if it's a gift, you haven't earned it. Not by works. Now, there were things that you've worked at so that no one can boast. That's the reason for that. So notice there in that verse, your Christmas gift from God at Christmas comes by grace through faith. All other religions are based on the idea and the word do. You do, you do, you do, and you please God. Christianity says, no, it's exactly the opposite. It's done. It is finished. The exchange is complete, the contract sealed, the deal is done. What was finished? The payment for your salvation. Paid in full, boom. Your certificate of debt was nailed to the cross, stamped in his blood, paid in full. He took care of the expense of your salvation. It's free to you, but it was very costly to him. But do you know why the tradition of Christmas giving began? It's because God gave the first and the greatest gift at the first Christmas. Christ, here it is, the Son of God. Luke 2.11 Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And that's why today we say, 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's just bow our heads.
Today, friend, maybe you've never been in a church, or maybe you've gone to church every Christmas for your entire life. Today, I want to invite you to pray a prayer of salvation in your heart right now at Christmas time. And you can begin a relationship with God, and the rest of your life can be the best of your life. If that's you, would you pray this prayer in your heart and say, Dear God, I don't understand it all. I have many questions, but I do thank you for sending Jesus at Christmas. Just pray that in your heart, in your mind. Thank you that you came to save me from my sin and myself, to set me free from my sin and my guilt and the expectations of others and destructive habits and the fear of death. Thank you that you saved me for a purpose by your grace. Today, Lord, I recognize that your wonderful gift of salvation is not a matter of trying, but it's a matter of trusting. So thank you that you want me to be with you forever. Jesus Christ, I want to know you. I want to learn to love you and trust in you. Thank you for dying on that cross for my sin. I don't understand it all, but I do want to follow you. I want to turn from my way, which is so limited, to your way, which is unlimited. I ask you to fill my life with your love and your presence. That I may not have just a new life, but an abundant and eternal life. So today at Christmas 2020... December 24th, I now see clearly and say yes to you. Jesus Christ, I receive your Christmas gift. I pray in your matchless name. Amen. Friends, today some of you may have um, decided that I want to give my heart to Christ. If you do, could you just let me know about that on that communication card? And as a church family puts their offering and their cards in the offering bucket as they go by, would you just let us know about that? We'd love to send you some information to help you along your journey. God bless you. Have a fantastic Christmas. Harry.